Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. For those of you who were here last week, you know we're working with Ernest Holmes' Basic Ideas of the Science of Mind. And I gave you a homework assignment last week. For those of you who who weren't here, though, we'll we'll catch up in like five seconds. And so the homework from last week was simply to find an area in your life where things aren't going as well as you'd like. So it could be, you know, a family situation that isn't what you would want it to be. It could be uh, maybe abundance in your life or, or, or money not what it needs to be. could be a job that's not as fulfilling as you would want. Uh, really, we did a little meditation at the end of last time so that each person here could find a subject matter important to them that we would use to move through the rest of this month. And so the idea this month is we're going to be learning a few very specific tools to move you forward in your chosen area where you'd like to see progress. So the idea being, you know, by the end of the month, we'll actually see some movement in that area, whether it's feeling more love in your life or more prosperity or or whatever it is you were looking for. The other thing we learned last week, you'll probably remember, is the idea that our thoughts are created. Creative, that when, uh, when Nancy, for instance, uh, I, think, I think I'm quoting Nancy, right, when she says, uh, we just ask you to be open to changing your entire life by changing your mind, right? And so, so how we accomplish this idea of more love or more life or whatever it is, of course, is through changing our thoughts. If we can change our thoughts, really change them, then we will be able to bring about that change into our lifestyle. Okay, see, you're all caught up. It didn't even take a, more than a minute or two. This week, I'm going to start with this idea, of course, of deep thinking, and so a joke about deep thinking. <laughs> the family dog passed away, and little Johnny went with his father to pick up the ashes of their beloved pet. Looking down at the little pouch of ash and bone, Johnny asked his father, Dad, What happens if I die? Oh, his father, that initial gulp, how to explain the the mysteries of what happens next. But he thought a moment and replied, well, some people believe that we go to heaven, a place to enjoy eternity with God. But other people believe that you get born again in a body of a new baby, that you get to live a whole new life. Other people believe that you transcend the the human experience entirely into some form of pure energy and you're allowed to to travel the universe. And, And you know, Johnny, still others believe that your life force is dispersed into the plants and the animals and the surroundings of where you die. Oh, said little Johnny, looking down at the remains of his family pet, uh, but in a bigger bag, right? All right, maybe we'll really get around to deep thoughts. We'll give it a, we'll give it, we'll give it a try anyway. Uh, the place I want to start with some modern research uh, having to do with habits. Now, we're 
probably used to the idea of habits being a bad thing, right? Uh, many of us are stuck in, you know, habitual patterns that don't serve us well. Maybe some of us overeat or drink too much. Some of us maybe are overly sedentary and don't get, get out and act, exercise enough, right? Uh, most of us probably have something in our life that because it is a habit, uh, maybe we're not as active as we would like to be or showing up the way we would want to do. Ernest Holmes, though, in, in the chapter two of this book, actually says habits can work for us. So let me, uh, let me describe this. I'll read a little bit out of the book and you'll see what he means. He says, there is a way in which the law of mind is of exceeding great value. A habit is the result of something we have done with careful attention and conscious effort so many times that we, do no long, that we no longer think specifically about it when doing it. That is, the law of mind responds to a persistent idea and automatically maintains it. This is what we call a habit. And a little later, he uses the example of, uh, of uh, a toddler taking their first steps. H have you all witnessed that before, right? It's like suddenly one day, they get the idea, whether it's from watching parents or just the creativity of moving their own body, that, oh my gosh, look at me. I'm standing and I'm walking, <laughs> right? And what I think is amazing, if you've watched little kids, sometimes they'll even look down like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> of course, what happens then, right? You, yeah, right? Usually they look down and then fall over because they haven't quite got the hang of it yet. Well, this is the idea of building a habit, those first few steps, right? Because we don't think particularly about walking, do we? It is something that after a while we don't have to think about. At first, though, there's a lot of conscious effort into it. Children, if you notice them, up... Uh, up through that stage of taking those first few steps, they're actually like, oh my gosh, it starts with, that's connected to me, right? At first, they're like amazed <laughs> that pieces of their body are even part of them. And so it's that conscious attention to, you know, what happens when we move this muscle and that muscle, and it's watching our parents and it's experimentation. And although we think of it as a child just growing up, there's a huge amount of conscious energy that goes into it first. Okay, then what happens about a month later? They're just running full tilt, right? Do they even think about it anymore? Of course they don't. And what I think is really interesting is they may still be a little clumsy. It may still not be a, a, a really smooth effort, but do they have to even consciously think about it anymore? No. From then on, they get better just by doing it. It's a, it's a habit of locomotion, you might think of. All right, let me uh, go on with this reading. He says, in the matter of habits, we have found that the function of mind will accept any thought pattern that we persistently give to it. It will from then on automatically maintain it for us. It is only reasonable then and wise for us to give over into its care those things which would be advantageous to it. So what he's really talking about here is making good habits. What he's really talking here is that we can set up in our own mind a new way of thinking about our life 
that after a while we won't have to consciously think about it anymore. Because I know one of the resistances we have to doing new things is we have to put a fair amount of energy into it, don't we? If we really want to imagine our lives to be different, it isn't something we can just do in an afternoon and go, okay, there it is, right? Because our old life is the current habit. <laughs> you know, the first meal we come up to, right? We all, we all make a plan to be on a diet, let's say. Well, the first meal we come up to after our big plan for the diet, there it is. Our old habit spread out before us. It takes a lot of conscious energy. But anyone who knows that if they have stuck to a new exercise program, knows if they have stuck to giving up smoking or something like that, after what? surprisingly, about after the same amount of time that a baby has to learn how to walk, somewhere in that one month to two month range, suddenly the new way of being, whether it's the new eating pattern or the new pattern of going to the gym, whether it's the new way of being with a spouse or, or, or changing our languaging, whatever it is, suddenly after about a month to two months, we don't even have to think about it anymore. And we continue even to get better at it. So that is something that I want to harness first of all this week. And you know, normally at the end of the sermon, I give a little bit of a homework and I'm going to plop it right in the middle because we're going to do something else at the end. The homework suggested right out of chapter two of this book is that twice a day, we envision our life changed. So the idea is you, you chose an area of your life where you want to see some progress and this exercise, and we'll actually do it at the end. I'm just giving you kind of the parameters now for the homework. But twice a day upon waking up, maybe while you're still in bed even, and upon going to sleep, maybe just as you're getting ready for bed, Ernest Holmes says, just spend five minutes imagining that the new life you desire, you already have. And, and I'll actually walk you through it at the end. So that's your homework. Keep, keep in mind about that. And for those of you who are homework phobic, I will, I will tell you the good news. No more homework for the rest of the month. Because if we want this to become a habit, what do we have to do? Yeah, this is kind of a commitment that I'm suggesting we do for a minimum of a month. And if you want to be on the safe side, if you don't want to be making the, the fall down things that the kids do, uh, if you really want this to be a good conscious personal habit, I would say take it out 45 days, 60 days so that it will carry you forward. The other thing, though, that I want to talk about is an interesting phrase from social engineering. It's called cognitive dissonance. And let me explain it in a more everyday way. In fact, I'll use an example of one of my own sermons. So I think last year about this time, maybe it was in October, I did some kind of a prosperity sermon, I remember. And, and part of it, I, we did kind of an affirmation together. And I said something like, uh, I don't know, the riches of the universe are mine to have and to use. And you all you know, did a nice thing and repeated it back to me. And then I looked out because I was seeing a little like... Uh, not quite agreement with that. And I said, say it even louder because somehow ministers think if you say it louder, it makes it truer. Or I don't know, <laughs> some, some foolish nonsense or something like that. But, but what I noticed was there were clouds passing over everyone's face. And the reason was you didn't quite buy it. 
there were thoughts in your own mind in conflict with what I was asking you to say. I was asking you to say, in essence, that you are rich and probably two-thirds of the people in the audience had personal evidence to the contrary. Maybe, you know, an unpaid bill or two. Maybe, I don't know, a credit card balance. Maybe evidence from your childhood of how hard it is to really be rich. Or or maybe even the feeling that rich people are kind of snooty. And you're not that kind of person, so you must not be rich. But anyway, whatever the reasons were out there, I got it. It was like, okay, we're we're trying to zoom right over all the realities of people's lives and just claim something that people are having trouble swallowing. That's cognitive dissonance. When someone is asking you or you're asking yourself to believe two conflicting things at the same time. When you do that, guess which side wins? Sadly, psychologists will tell you the old habitual ways of thinking will almost always win out that our old beliefs will win even if the new belief would be more beneficial to us even if the new belief is where we want to head if there are enough old beliefs in a pattern they will win out over the new beliefs because of this thing called cognitive dissonance because the 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 thoughts can't occupy your brain easily at the same time and some people will actually feel anxious about it this is one of the reasons why if you try a new pattern for that first 60-day period you may feel anxious about it even though maybe you're enjoying your new exercise program there might be an anxiousness feeling about getting ready to go to the gym and you'll be like what why is this this You know, why am I feeling this? It's the cognitive dissonance is showing up as a bit of anxiety even in your body system. Okay, there are two ways of getting rid of cognitive dissonance, and I'm going to talk about them. One, hopefully, you will like, and so we'll do the other one first. Um, (laughs) the, The first surefire method of eliminating cognitive dissonance is through tragedy. And I will use an example of my mom. So my mom, uh, very overweight for much of her life with diabetes and heart trouble, ended up in the hospital with a heart attack at age, uh, I think it was about 68, and uh, recovering well. Uh, she had a bypass and doing pretty well. The doctor came into the hospital and said, uh, Mrs. Burnett, I'm, I'm glad you're feeling better, and you need to be prepared to be back in here in about six months. And my mom kind of went ashen, and he said, you know, the abuse your body has had over the nearly 70 years of your life has all kinds of things wrong with it. And, uh, and, and, And really, you know, without really immediate attention to diet and exercise, it would be unusual to think that you wouldn't have another heart attack or need some other work on your cardiovascular system, either some stents or other things. I got to tell you, all the cognitive dissonance in my mother went out the room right then because it was change my habits or die, right? So the cognitive dissonance in her mind was, well, she loved food. Food was her life. She was of that that generation when the, the mama 
right? That was love. That was creating the meals for everyone. That was how she, she planned her day around shopping and loving people. And, and to her, not to cook for 20 people, even if she was living by herself, uh, <laughs> meant that the love was coming out of her life. And so, so to her, huge cognitive dissonance ar- around changing the way she cooked and the way she ate and things like that. Oh boy, not after that. She lost 100 pounds in about seven months. So that's one way to eliminate cognitive dissonance. So we find the other way. <laughs> okay, the other way is to actually pay attention to what's dissonant in your head. So let's say, for an example, that you really want to find a, a, a life partner. Maybe you've lived alone for a certain period of time and you'd really like to meet that special forever someone. But whenever you say that to yourself, what? The little voice in the back of your head says, well, yeah, and the last three went so well, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> or, or the little voice in the back of your head says, yeah, just like my parents that fought every day until the bitter end. Or the little voice in the back of your head that says, well, relationships are nice, but I'm not sure I'm up to that level of work. Honestly, my life is pretty good as it is, and although it would be nicer with someone else, hoo-hoo, right? So those are the kind of cognitive dissonances that might be going on in the back of your head. The second method of reducing these is literally to write them down, capture the reality of them. So you might want to take out a sheet of paper and write down all the reasons why you might think you shouldn't have that thing you want whether it's a, a great job or whether it's that new relationship, right? There's probably floating thing, fl- things floating in the back of your head telling you why you shouldn't have it, you can't have it, or that it'll be too difficult to get, or, or maybe you don't really want it. Write them all down. One by one, we're going to use a, a, a kind of a one, two, three approach on them. First of all, ask yourself, are they even true? Because we tell ourselves lies all the time. I, I don't know whether you are up for believing that or not, but probably a third of what's going on in your head most of the day isn't even true. So let's go back to our little list there for a minute, right? Marriages always end in trouble. That's one of the things that was going on back there. Is that really true? Now, that may be a lot of your experience, right? Maybe your previous relationships did end in trouble. Maybe you come from a family, even, where relationships were very difficult or contentious or even abusive. But notice, it's not the truth to actually say marriages are always trouble or marriages always end badly. It's not really true, You probably know lots of couples have been together for years and years and years, and it's lovely. And if you don't, could you be hanging around people reinforcing your beliefs? Have a look at that one. Now, the way cognitive dissonance remediation works is we begin telling ourselves a better story. So that one, for instance, no, it's not true. Plenty of people have loving, easygoing, fun relationships with partners that last a lifetime. That's going to be me, 
right? So we, we move aside that previous thought. Now the second one, occasionally we'll still end up begrudgingly have to say, okay, I can't really imagine a smooth relationship. Uh, none of my friends have one. Uh, my parents didn't have one. I just, when I, when I, I have dissonance even just saying plenty of people in the world have loving relationships that last forever. Then ask yourself, does this have to be true for me? Do I have to follow everyone else's pattern? Now this one's really common and I use it extensively for people who have been diagnosed with some trouble medically, right? Because doctors are, are very prone to come and say, you know in your case, 80% of the people will end up with heart attacks in five years like they did with my mom. Or they'll come up and they'll say, well, you know the statistics are that someone your age and your sex is gonna have a very difficult time finding a job. And I just want to take them by the neck and shake them when I hear things like that, because that may be a general thing that happens to a lot of people, but why would it happen to you personally, right? Don't we defy the odds all the time in our own lives? Aren't we often the outlier? Why wouldn't we be the 20% that lives healthy till the very end, like my great-grandmother who died in her sleep at 103? Why couldn't that be me, right? Why not? Why can't I be the one that totally recovers from cancer? Why can't I be the one that has the marriage that goes on and on and just gets sweeter and more blissful with every passing year? So that's the second thing you can do. If you have to begrudgingly say, well, maybe it is true, that is what the world is like, then you can say, but it doesn't have to be true for me. Another way of eliminating that dissonance, of breaking down those old thoughts. The third one, you're going to think only Larry could come up with this. <laughs> But it's actually in scientific, uh, scientific terms been proven to work, and that is choose something different. The idea is to ask yourself, would I simply be happier or more productive or would my life be better if I chose to believe something different? In other words, fib to yourself, simply, and creatively say, this is what I choose to believe instead because it will make me happier. I simply choose to believe that there is that special someone waiting for me out there that is gonna be honoring and, and lovely and our life together is gonna to be blissful. And I just, despite, despite what my friends might say, despite the statistics maybe quoted by the Bureau of Census, it's like, to heck with them. I'm going to choose to believe what I choose to believe on this day. That's the third way you can begin dismissing that cognitive dissonance. Now, when we have eliminated the cognitive dissonance, then our picture of a new life has no contrary evidence to it. Then there isn't that little voice on the back of your shoulder or the, so, do you, ever, do you have voices in your head too? Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I don't want to talk out of turn here. Am I the only one? And, some, and sometimes they sound like my mom and sometimes they sound like younger versions of myself. And you know, it's the little voice that says, oh yeah, well everybody else can do that, but not you. Or, uh, or in a pig's eye, you'll be able to pull that one off, right? 
Well, again, that's the cognitive dissonance, and our work here is to examine those kinds of thoughts for validity and minimize them. The reason we do this is what we're doing is we're building a template of our desired new life. The stronger that template, the more complete that template, the better and the quicker you'll be able to examine and have that new life. All right, now I promised that we would do an ending exercise that would actually carry forward. And this is the exercise that Ernest Holmes is recommending that we do in the morning before we get up or as we're getting up and in the evening before uh, we go to bed. And this is the, the creation of that template of what we want to imagine for ourselves moving forward. So, so it's us after we already have the marvelous new relationship. It's us after the new job is already ours. It's us after we're in better living circumstances or, or after financial freedom is completely ours. And so I ask you to close your eyes and we're gonna do a little imagining together. And this is the exercise that I would invite you to do twice a day for the next couple months. So simply notice that the issue that you wanna work on, that area in your life where you wanna see improvement, imagine that the work is already done. That you just woke up this day, if, if it's your morning exercise, imagine you just woke up and that issue is completely and wonderfully resolved. You have all the money you need or, or the, the life partner is yours, maybe sleeping in the bed next to you. Just imagine that that perfect job is yours where you're valued and honored. Whatever it is you're wanting to see differently in your life, richly right now begin imagining it. Notice where you are and what you're doing. Notice what has changed. Perhaps most importantly, notice how you're feeling. Are you feeling free maybe for the first time in a long time? Or are you feeling truly loved and lovable? It may bring up a sense of satisfaction or, or safety. Just notice how after this change is now complete, how marvelously you feel. And try to anchor that feeling in. This is your new life. This is how you are and what you have. This is your new pattern. All right, I invite you to open your eyes Remember, the homework is to do this exact same exercise. only takes five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night. And I want to read to you what Ernest Holmes says about this. He says, The more that you create such images in your mind and sincerely believe in them, you're cultivating a feeling of joy and accepting them as true. 
you know that your perfect right to have this in reality is yours. You realize that universal mind is bringing them to pass, and the more fully that you lay this foundation, the more fully you will receive the life that you deserve. Let us pray. There is but one power, and I recognize this power of our universe as God. But call, call it what you want. Call it simply a force of nature or the, the mechanisms of our own brains. Call it what you like. What I know is that this is the sure path to my own happiness. To imagine it. To claim it. To bring up an indelible picture of it in my own mind. To, to sense it. To feel it. To, to hold it in my consciousness until it becomes a habit, until I can run free without even worrying about it anymore because it simply becomes a positive habit in my own mind. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each person here has the capability of changing their mind and therefore changing their lives. Each person here has that ability to do a bit of daydreaming, a, a bit of, uh, of removing of, uh, of cognitive dissonance. Everyone here has that capability of changing, basically, their thinking. And I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for God showing up every day, every way, in the faces and the hands of the people around me. So grateful to be here on Sundays and beyond. And so I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.